Um, my name's Joe Mueller. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, it's going to be my uh, privilege to share uh, from God's Word today. Uh, just a, a brief, uh, brief announcement at the beginning of service. So uh, we are voting on deacons. So we uh, presented a slate of five deacons that have been voted on uh, by the congregation. And so those five uh, have been presented to the church, and next week we're going to vote on them. So if you are a member, uh, please uh, be sure you're here next week to be able to vote in that. It's an important part of our church life. Um, and is a, a good way for us to uh, image how the kingdom uh, works. So um, we are ending the book of Acts today. Uh, over, I think we started sometime in 2016, so that puts us at right around two years uh, for 28 chapters, uh, which is long. We had some, um, had some detours where we, we looked at uh, Corinthians and we looked at, um, man, I forget the other book that we looked at, Ephesians. Um, but we've been in Acts for a long time, and today uh, we are going to bring uh, maybe the ship into port, uh, if you want to use some of that, or the plane uh, to the landing, uh, which we'll, we'll apropos here in a second here. But um, as we close out Acts, we're going to imagine we're all in a plane. We're going to pull back on the joystick just a little bit. We're going to gain some altitude again. And then we're going to like swing back to the beginning of chapter 27. And we're going to look out the window and we're going to see some really cool things, at least I think so. Uh, the main features of, of chapters 27 and 28. Because, uh, after all, uh, Paul, or Paul, Luke ends the book of Acts, I felt like, in such a strange way. In such a strange way. Um, and he did this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it just, the book just ends, right? As you're reading Acts chapter 28, you expect there to be an Acts chapter 29, right? And uh, we are an Acts 29 church, and like, that means that we think the church is continuing. But it just, it just ends so abruptly. And, and so we're going to try um, something maybe a little bit different than what you may be used to um, in a Sunday morning sermon. And it is, it's my prayer that I have been faithful in my study uh, so that we can see what the Holy Spirit has embedded here in this text. And, and I hope that I am faithful in my presentation of what I've studied so that uh, I can say it and be clear in my delivery. And, and it's also my prayer that through the Holy Spirit, uh, you will be faithful to hear his words and be transformed by his work in your heart. So we'll begin by closing out Acts. We'll read the last little section here, uh, starting Acts 28, verse 17. Um, and then we'll, we'll take our plane up to altitude, uh, look over some of the main features of chapters 27 and 28, and I'll point out what I believe the Holy Spirit would have us hear and see and know and understand about his word today. So if you are able, would you please stand uh, to honor the reading of God's perfect and reviving and sure and wise-making and right and praise-inducing and an eyes enlightening, clean, enduring forever, true, righteous altogether, and more desirable than gold in the sweetest of foods word. So Acts chapter 28, verse 17. 
After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because, of the, Jew, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced that what he said, by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely hear and their ears they have closed, or their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Go ahead and have a seat and let's pray. So creator of all that was and all that is and all that will be, be with us as we explore your word. Enable and empower us to see rightly and to hear rightly into its beauty and wisdom and power and truth and grace. Lord, we want to live after the pattern of life that we see in this text. And so, Holy Spirit, do that work in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. So, we have just officially finished Acts. We just read it all. So we've read every part of Acts together. And, and if we think back to the very beginning, Acts, Acts seems to be a book all about God's faithfulness to his church. That's what it's all about. If we think back to the, how the book starts in Acts 1.8, it says that the church will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that they will be witnesses, Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the very ends of the earth. And as we've made our way through the book, we've seen that promise from Acts 1-8 fulfilled over and over and over and over again. We saw it at Pentecost. We saw it in the subsequent ministry of, of Peter as he, as he preaches the gospel and many get saved. And as he, as he goes around the area of uh, Jerusalem and Judea and, and Gentiles are saved and Jews are saved. And uh, you have the disciples, right? He's talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and he gets transported away um, to a new place. And finally, here at the end, for the last, I don't know, dozen chapters or so, we have this focus on Paul. 
and, and Paul is, is faithfully extending the kingdom of God through his church all over the Mediterranean. He is taking the gospel from his home to all peoples of the earth. To the very ends of the earth. Paul is doing that. And in, in Acts chapter 28, Paul arrives at Rome. And so today, as we, we close, like, to me, that was a great place to end. Paul shows up in Rome. He's there. The church reads it. And then uh, it, it'll end. Like, if I was the writer of the story, that's where I would have ended. I would, you know, it leaves you questioning, oh, what's going to happen next? I don't, I, what's going to happen? Um, but... There's more. There, there's another, I don't know, 16 verses. And so today, I want us to ask the question, why did the Holy Spirit end his history of the church this way? Why did he choose to end it as he did? Because, again, it's anticlimactic. Paul, Paul is storm-tossed. He is starved on a ship. He is shipwrecked and almost dies in the process. Then he gets bitten by a snake on his way to Rome. And all because he's a prisoner because of the hope of Israel. He literally endures in the span of a few weeks more suffering than any of us will experience in our whole life. And what happens when he finally gets to Rome? Are there 5,000 saved as he preaches the gospel? No. Are there tongues of fire that descend on all those who believe? No. Do, do the sick get healed in Rome? Does he heal tons of people who, you know, he's finally the ends of the earth and his ministry is so powerful he heals tons of people? No. Do the dead get raised like Paul's done in the past? No. What happens is Paul shows up, he preaches the gospel, and he is rejected. That's what happens. That how, that's how Acts ends. Paul gets rejected. And so I am left asking, why did the Holy Spirit end his history of the church this way? What is going on in these chapters? And, and so that's why we're going to pull, pull the nose of our plane back. And we're going to go back over chapters 27 and 28. Because I think that there is a reason why the Holy Spirit chose through Luke to end the book of Acts this way. And I want us to explore that together because it's going to be important as we examine our own Christian lives. And so in order to help us pull the nose of the plane up a bit, um, let's talk about something that's so important to the Christian life, a key principle that is embedded all over Scripture, and it's a, this principle of imitation. Um, the, the, the Latins would have called it, if you've put it up on the screen, um, the imitatio Christi, the imitation of Christ. That's what the Latin folks would have called it. And this is this idea that um, Jesus taught us that our life ought to be an imitation or a copy uh, or following the pattern of his life. If you look at Luke 640, so Luke wrote Acts and he wrote, uh, wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke records this that Jesus said. 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so what uh, Jesus is saying here is, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. You are the disciple, and Jesus is the teacher. And so to put it another way, uh, you are not above Jesus, but everyone, will, when he is fully trained, will be like 
Jesus. And so the idea of our whole Christian life, our whole training, our whole efforts in this world is not to be anything but like Jesus. And Jesus, of course, right, is just pulling, uh, he's reading the Old Testament, he's meditating on it, he's thinking about it, he's interpreting it as the Messiah and, and giving us a, 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 his, his take on it. But, but this is a principle that's also in the Old Testament scripture as well. If you look at Leviticus 11.45, it says, For I, the Lord who brought you out of, Egypt, uh, out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And so there's this a pattern of holiness that the people of God are supposed to exhibit because God is that way. And so God is saying, hey, hey, people of God, I've got a message for you. I am your savior. Remember what I did in Egypt? Remember all those plagues that I did in Egypt? Remember who I am? I am actually really quite holy. Very holy. And you shall be holy because that's how I am. Now, uh, clear in the Old Testament that this is how the people of God should live. Uh, They should do right because God is right. They should uh, protect um, the weak because God protects the weak. They should uh, fight against sin and corruption because God is the uncorruptible one. Right? This is the whole pattern of the Old Testament. And, And Peter... Thinking about what Jesus said, right? A disciple is not above his teacher. And and himself reading the Old Testament. In in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, he says this. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So there's a bit of amplification that Peter is doing here. He's saying not only is God your savior, he is also your father. You are a child of God. And as obedient children, you should act like your dad. You should act like your parents. If, if you think about parents, all of us are either a child of a parent or we have children. Or Yeah, that's right. I said that right. Um, and if you think about it, you image your parent, right? There are parts of them that you love, that you are glad exist within you. And then there may be parts of them that you're not so happy about, but you recognize in yourself and you recognize in them. And whether you like it or not, you have patterned your life after your, your parent, whether it's your mother, your father, um, our children, all right, I have four of them, they pattern their lives after me and my wife, right? It just, it's natural. It's what happens. Um, some of it's genetic, some of it's um, nurture, right? Nature and nurture. It's just the way things work. Children are like their parents. And so uh, Peter amplifies this a bit and says, hey, you're, you're children of God. Act like him. Act like him. Be like him. And so we see Jesus, the Old Testament, and Peter are all in agreement that there should be no surprise then that when we get to Paul and his writings, he says the exact same thing. Exact same thing. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So this principle, this principle of imitation, of being a certain way because God is a certain way, is all over the scriptures. God is love. Therefore, Christians should be loving. God is true. 
Therefore, Christians should speak truth to one another. God shows no partiality. Therefore, Christians should not play favorites. God is forgiving. Therefore, Christians should always forgive. There's more. There's tons more. So, but as God is, so those who follow the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and call upon his name should be as well. This is the principle of imitation. We are to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ. That as Jesus is, so the church should be. And this fundamental principle of the Christian life, in fact, is the essence of the Christian life. I would go so far as to say that if you are not imitating Christ, if you are not working to be, as Jesus said in Luke 640, fully trained to be like your teacher, you are not living a Christian life. You have not placed your hope and your trust and your faith in the man who takes away all of our sins. So this principle of imitation is going to help us answer this question of why did the Holy Spirit end his history of the church this way? This, this principle of imitation is the hermeneutical key. It's, it's our interpretive key that's going to unlock chapters 27 and 28 for us. And here's my answer. Here's, here's what I'm, I'm going to present to you today. Uh, why did the Holy Spirit end his history of the church this way? I think Acts ends this way because the Holy Spirit wanted to show us how much Paul's life imitated Christ. That's the whole point of 27 and 28. Jesus, Jesus is on display through Paul. Paul is extending the ministry and life of Jesus into the world. That's what's going on in 27 and 28, and that's what God is calling each and every one of us to do today. So let's, let's look at this. Let's, we're, our plane is up here now, I hope. Let's, let's circle back to 27. Very first point of how Paul's life is imitating Christ's life. Very first point is through Paul, a whole boat is saved. Right? A whole boat is saved. It, it, this is Acts. Uh, basically, the whole chapter of 27 and then if you look at uh, Luke eight twenty two through 25. Now in Luke 8, uh, Jesus and his disciples have just gotten into a boat to go to the other side of the lake. And Jesus is tired. He's tired, y'all. Real tired. Um, and so he falls asleep. And a huge storm shows up. Does that ring any bells for Acts 27, right? A huge storm um, shows up. And he's sleeping, and so his disciples lose it. They just, they just lose it, and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. We're all going to die. And Jesus, Lord of all creation, wakes up, rebukes the wind, the raging waves, and there's this calm, and the whole boat gets saved. Everyone on the boat lives. That's what Jesus did, and in the same way, that's what uh, Paul does. He doesn't, Paul doesn't have command over all creation. He doesn't rebuke the wind and the, the waves. He just gets battered by it. But because Paul is there and because of the promise of, of Christ, the whole boat is saved. So part of what is going on here is that Paul's boat episode, he is imitating the sovereign will of God in the life of Jesus. Paul is a little bit like Noah, right? Who Noah, he enters a boat. The waters of judgment come. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And through Noah, 
you have the, what is it, the six, eight occupants make it to safety. They have known his wife and then his three sons and their wives. In the same way, Jesus, right, Jesus passes through death. He passes through death at the cross and he saves his entire church in his body. All of us, all of us in Christ will be saved forever because Jesus has passed through the waters of judgment and has carried us with him into eternity in his resurrection. And in the same way, Paul, pointing to this thing that Jesus did, he saves murderers, he saves criminals, he saves oppressive uh, operatives of the state, right? Roman centurions. He saves himself and all of his friends, right? This whole mix of, of a hodgepodge of people, just like the church, right? Get saved in Paul's boat. And so this is one way that, that Luke and the Holy Spirit are seeing, hey, hey, this, there's a pattern that Paul's life is exemplifying. There's this pattern that's from the scriptures that we see in the Old Testament, we see with Jesus, and now Paul is showing us that all point back to Jesus as Lord, that all point back to Jesus as Savior that is going on here. Now, after the boat, what happens? They build a fire. Paul's taking a bundle of sticks, and out of the sticks comes this adder or viper, some snake that's supposed to kill you when it bites you, and it bites him. Um, And this, so Paul overcomes the bite of a serpent. That's the next point, point B. Um, Fudd mentioned this last week, right? But Jesus is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 15. And remember Genesis 15, right? It says that... uh, uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel, right? That's the, that's, I, I think it's in that order too. Um, and so Jesus is the one whose heel is struck by the serpent. Jesus is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. And so just like Jesus, Paul, but only here symbolically, right? This is a symbol, it, but it really happened. He really did get bit by a snake. This really happened, but he did not... Uh, right? Uh, the, the snake was not like a demon. It was a snake. Um, he bites him, and then Paul is able to overcome the attack of the serpent, shake it off into the fire, which is a symbolic of the fire of judgment, and, he, and is the final resting place of Satan and his demons, is this lake of fire. And so Paul overcomes the bite of the serpent. So not point two. Point uh, three is G, uh, Paul heals the sick. Paul imitates Christ by healing the sick, and particularly healing one person and then healing many afterwards. So if, if you can remember back to Luke 4, 38 through 40, which I know you all have memorized, just go to it in your heads. Uh, none of you do, I know that. Um, maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus shows up and he too heals somebody's parent. He heals Peter's mother. So, so Paul heals Publius's father, Publius. Uh, his father is sick. Paul heals him. And Jesus heals Peter's mother, who has a fever as well. And Paul then heals all the sick on Malta. All the Maltese sick come to Paul. And Paul heals them all. And Jesus, after, they, after all these people hear that Peter's mother has been healed, they bring all their sick to him too, and he heals them all. And so we have this other, like this is amazing, right? This is amazing the way that God has, has orchestrated history. The very 
history, like real things that happened are following this amazing pattern of similarity between Jesus and this representative, this this leader in his church, uh, Paul. Now, if we, we zoom ahead a little bit, Paul is now in Rome. Our fourth point of imitation is Paul's rejection by the Jews. He gets rejected. He, he shares, he, Paul, right, he's, he's like, hey, guys, look at this. Look at this Second Kings 6. Look how this tells us about the gospel. And it's in the Law and the Prophets. Look at this. And then look at this in Isaiah. And then, then look at this in Genesis. And look at this in, in all these different places of Scripture. And it, this is Jesus, guys. This is Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, think about this. Luke chapter 6. Paul is rejected by Jews. Um, so Jesus, any reading of the gospel shows that Jesus is rejected by the Jews. You could go to anyone. Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. The Jews don't like Jesus. That's clear. But I want to go to, to Luke chapter 4. I think it's, it's, it's good, and it's also written by Luke, which Acts is written by. So Jesus is in the synagogue on Sabbath. It's Saturday. Uh, he's handed a book of the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to teach. Now, uh, when a, he, Isaiah is a prophet. He is, you know, the law and the prophets. Uh, Isaiah is a major prophet. He's a big deal. Um, and he, Jesus, like, unrules the scroll, gets to chapter 61. And then he, Jesus, tries to testify to the kingdom of God and convince them by reading Isaiah 61 that he is the Messiah. Right? Um, I am the person that this scripture is testifying about is what he says. He says this, this scripture has been, um, has been fulfilled in your midst, in your hearing, um, which is uh, Isaiah's, you know, I've uh, come to proclaim good news, release to the captives, healing to the sick. And he's, Jesus says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing and do you think the Jews accept him? It's like, the Messiah is here. Let's, uh, let's, go, let's go overthrow the Roman Empire. No, right? They get really mad, and they want to throw Jesus off of a cliff and murder him. Because they're like, no, you are not the Messiah. And similarly, right, Paul's rejected by the Jews. Jesus is rejected by the Jews. And, and even in quoting uh, Isaiah, he uh, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 is what Paul quotes here. Uh, that is something that Jesus himself quotes in, in Matthew 15, 17. So even, even the same words that, that Paul used to his Jewish critics are the same exact words that, that Jesus is using with his Jewish critics. Amazing similarities. And then finally, our, our last one is that Paul proclaims the kingdom. Our final point of imitation is that Paul proclaims the kingdom. And so right after the episode above where Paul healed Peter's mother-in-law and the crowds, we have him saying, this is what Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so Paul, Paul, in these five ways, and there are more, there are more in the text. There are lots more in the text that I just don't have time to talk about. But in these five very major ways, we see Paul patterning his life after Jesus. If there was just one of these, I could probably just let it slide, right? Like one, it's just a coincidence, right? But this is not a coincidence. 
This is what Luke is trying to show you. This is what Luke wants you to see about these chapters. Luke is saying, and the Holy Spirit through him, is that there is no way these connections are a coincidence. There's none. This happened by the very clear intention of the Holy Spirit working in Paul, orchestrating history to match a certain way. The Holy Spirit did this, right? Paul didn't go into Malta. He didn't, he didn't leave the port. He's like, all right, we're going to get a storm. Storm come and push my ship around. That's not what happened. Paul didn't go to Malta, make all these people sick with the disease and have a cure in his pocket so he could heal people. That's not what happened. Paul did not go to, to Rome and want to be rejected by the Jews. Paul loved the Jews. He considered them his brothers. If he could... He would have exchanged his salvation for theirs. That's what he says in in Romans. He loves them. He did not want to be rejected by them. But these actual events, this recorded history, is here to let us know that Paul is imitating Christ. The Holy Spirit created this historical connection. And Luke recorded it because he wanted us to understand something about ourselves and the church. And that is we are to imitate Christ. The pattern of our lives and the circumstances of our lives should be able to look back at and see that we have followed our Savior through it all. That as we live out our lives, things will happen to us where we can look back and say, I followed Jesus there. That happened. This history is real And I was able, I was able to imitate Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit within me. Because these are the types of things that Jesus does in the world, so we should be doing them as well. And so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am Christ, this is the type of thing that he's talking about. Paul has looked at the pattern of his life. He has looked at the way that he has been about in his world. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter that Paul was a missionary, that he could say that. Right? If Paul, if Paul, was, if Paul, was, um, if Paul could not see, and Paul was deaf, and Paul was lame, Paul could say, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Just being alive means that you have this ability to say that. And so what he is really saying when he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, he's saying, follow the pattern of my life. As I have, as I have done things that exalt and honor and glorify Jesus by healing the sick, by bringing a whole boat through safely, by, by preaching the gospel and being rejected, by, um, by doing all these things that I've done and, and seek to, to honor Christ and love him and be like him, as I've done all those things, do that too, church. Do that too. Follow Jesus. Be like him. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So church, be imitators of Christ. Now, I want to close our time here with with four applications, four ways that we can understand uh, how imitation of Christ is supposed to play out in our lives. The the first one here is to be you, to be you. And I'm I'm serious when I say that. It's not like 
you know, be the best version of you or um, you be you, right? Like, it's not that. What, what I mean is this. Um, Paul would never have been on that boat or, or working that fire as a servant or, or healing the Maltesian sick or arguing with Roman Jews about Christ if he hadn't been uniquely Paul, right? Paul had to be Paul to do all those things. Paul went places. Paul met people. Paul had a ministry that he did that was a product of his unique set of passions, his unique set of capabilities, his unique circumstances, and the Lord's providence in his life. And the same is true for you. You have unique capabilities. You have unique circumstances. You have unique passions. And the Lord is providing for you in a unique way. So don't try to be anybody else. Be you. God created you with a plan and a purpose. God has a a design for your life. You are his workmanship. You specifically are his workmanship created for good deeds. There is not greener grass anywhere else. You have been called to do certain things. And no one else can do that. And we need you to use your own passions, your own capabilities, and your own circumstances to go places, to meet people, to do ministry that is the product of all that God has poured into you. We need that here at Remedy. We need you displaying God's wonderful workmanship in creating you specifically. We all have histories. We all have circumstances that happen to us. We all have passions. We all have training. We all have things that that God has brought into our lives. And we will all benefit. We will all rejoice when we see God on display in you. Because you are his workmanship. You are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. And we need you to be beautiful. We need you to be who God created you to be. Because you are part of us. Right? You are our body. We are you and you are us. And so be who God created you to be. You have so much to offer. And I know this because I know Jesus. He is wonderful beyond description. And all that his hands touch is beautiful. And church, I want to see his masterpieces on display. And so that's what I mean when I say, be you. Be you. My second application here. And, and, and sorry, that first application of be you is, is, is you have to see that Paul was still Paul. Like, even though he was pattering Jesus, he was still Paul, right? Paul always went to the synagogue. He always argued with the Jews. That was just his jam, right? Like, that, that was his people. And so you, you are that way too. You have your own uniqueness, your own beauty, your own passions and longings and desires. Don't quench those, right? Don't put those away and and crush them. Don't, Don't say, oh, I can't be this way. I have to be this way. No, God made you that way. And so be that. Don't, don't, don't reject what God has given you. The, the second point here is, is seek to preserve the lives of all around you. Right? This is, this is uh, A, C, and E. So save the boat, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom. Right? 
save the boat, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom. This work, this work of preserving the lives of all around you has physical and spiritual dynamics. Physical and spiritual dynamics. And it will play out again uniquely for each of us. But know this. The same person who gave nautical advice, right? Guys, don't go out in the boat. It's going to end badly for you. The, and then he also is like, hey, guys, don't put out those ships. You've got to all stay together or, or we're all going to die, right? That same person who gave that really practical life advice, Paul, is the exact same dude who did that spiritual stuff and, and tries to, to go to the scriptures and expound to the Roman Jews that Jesus is the Christ from the scriptures. Paul did both of those things. And what we have to understand, this has huge implications for us, right? It's not just spiritual things that matter. It's not, right? Our whole life is to imitate Jesus. Our, the way that we, we talk to our friends, Right? The way that we answer a phone call, the way that we parent our children, the way that we do everything, the way that we drive on the street, right? Everything that we do from small to great is to be, can and should be done in a way that imitates Jesus. And this has huge implications then for those of us who are in the marketplace, right? Who work jobs or for, for those of us who are, are swamped down with the care of children or of others who cannot care from their for themselves. Your work, the stuff that you do day in and day out, is no less spiritual, is no less imitating of Christ, is no less honoring our King than uh, the, the, the Paul, right, who, who goes into the synagogue and tries to, to preach the gospel to the Jews. Your work of saving the boat and healing the sick is an opportunity to imitate Christ. It's an opportunity to imitate Christ in everything that you do. And do you see it that way? Do you see all the work that you do, all the things that you touch, all the, all the way that you live in the world as a way to imitate Jesus? Do you approach it that way? Do you delight in it that way? Your whole life will change. If, if you go to work and, you, and at work you're not like, man, I just need to make money, right? But you go to work and you say, man, I get to imitate Jesus, I get to be like my king. I get to do what he does here in this place. I get to establish his kingdom wherever I'm at. That will change the way that you approach your life. It will change the way that you approach your work. It'll change the way you experience your world. And it'll change the way that you delight in things. It will change the way. The, the most mundane thing that you hated can become something that you love. Because in it you find your Savior, Jesus. Our third thing here is to destroy the works of the devil. This is the idea of, of Paul getting bit by the serpent and throwing it into uh, the fire. Imitation of Christ always, always, always involves the dismantling of the kingdom of darkness and the establishment of the kingdom of light. Always and without fail, because God is faithful to advance his kingdom. And so... Uh, series of questions here is, are you on the lookout for ways within your own heart you are failing to imitate Christ? Are you, are you looking for ways in your relationships with your, your friends, your coworkers, your, your spouse, your children, your parents, um, all, these, all these relationships that, that you have in the world, are you on the lookout for ways where the, 
you're failing to imitate Christ. You're failing to love like he loves. You're failing to forgive like he forgives. You're failing to treat others with the respect and dignity that they deserve as image bearers of God. Are you helping others in the church to grow in their own imitation of Christ? Because we need each other to point out our blind spots, right? If it was uh, not a blind spot, we would see it. But it's, it's called a blind spot for a reason. It's because we don't see it, right? That's why it's a blind spot. And we need other people who have much better perspective to be able to speak into those blind spots in our lives. And so are you being that, that love to someone else? Are you, are you being willing to be gracious enough to risk a little bit of something, to go to a person in love, in love, and say, hey, I saw this in you. I'm, I'm humbly submitting it to you, but I saw this, and I don't think it's Christ-like. And, and are you, as the receiver of that, be willing to say, I'm not going to reject you outright because I know you love me. I know you care. And I'm going to think about what you said. And I'm going to examine my life. And I'm going to ask that question, is, is, is God showing me something through you? And we have to do that in love, right? We have to do that kindly and gently. But we can't not do it. Because we have blind spots. And we need each other to reveal them to us. And the last question of this, destroy the works of the devil, is this. Are you identifying and opposing the spirit of this age as you encounter it in your home, in work, and in society? Are you opposing and uncovering and identifying the spirit of this age as you go about the world? And finally, the last point of application is, uh, here is, uh, in the pursuit of love, be willing to risk much. Be willing to risk much or all. So um, Paul, right? Paul, Paul is willing to go on a boat. He's willing to be thrown into prison. He's willing to um, get bit by a snake. He's willing to be rejected by his countrymen. He's willing to do all these things that cost him so much because he knows that he has brothers and sisters out in the world who just need to hear in order to be saved. They just need to hear. And so he goes through much out of love for them so that they might be saved. And Jesus did the same. Who, though he was God, he emptied himself and became man so that in his flesh, on his body on the cross, he might bear our sins that we might, so that we might he might die on our behalf and we would die no longer. He became our propitiation so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the motive for this great act of salvation was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe him? Do you believe in this Jesus and his love characterizing your way in the world? Is love characterizing your way of the world? Have you been so smitten by the creator of the universe that you ooze his affection for the world around you? Do you love the brother that you can see because you know the God whom you cannot see? Is love characterizing your way in the world. Let's pray.
God, we are, we are grateful that your word is so beautiful. We are grateful that you have given us a pattern in scripture for us to follow. We are grateful that Jesus has left us so much of himself in the world, in the church, and also in the word, that we may uh, follow each other as we follow Christ, and we can read uh, in your word what it means to be like Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray, God, that, that our lives would be imitations of Jesus. That as we go about our, our work week, as we go about our lives and our days, that uh, repeatedly we would look back on our lives and we would see you at work. That upon reflecting on the history of ourselves, more and more we would see your handiwork at work. We would see the design that you have placed within us uh, blossoming. We would see all the ways that you have orchestrated our past and are orchestrating our present and will orchestrate our future, that we may honor you as our king as we rejoice in you, that we may delight in Jesus more as we see him more in our lives and as we see him in others around us. Lord, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so fill us with faith, hope, and love. But most of all, Lord, fill us with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.